0: So as um, we know from our journey through John and um, Hannah mentioned it even and as well as Jordan that our theme is life in his name and that's based on the statement of Jesus who, I'm sorry, the statement of John who tells us the reason uh, that he wrote this gospel was that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and by believing might have life in his name. And so one of the things that we've been uh, looking at as we go through is just these, these, these stories that John is telling. He, he's, he's handpicked these. This is a, what you would call a very curated a presentation of the life of Jesus with that objective in mind, that people reading this gospel and hearing the words of Jesus and, and seeing his dealings with people, that all of that would bring a person to putting their faith and trust in Christ. And so now John tells us a story here that is not told in any of the other gospels, about this man um, who was uh, infirmed for 38 years and how the Lord healed him. So we have here in this story uh, a picture of the mercy and the compassion of Jesus for this hopeless, helpless, sinful man. And in the Lord's dealings with this man, we get, I believe, a picture of his dealings with all those who are in trouble and who need God's help. So I want to uh, just kind of walk us through the story and look at some of the key points. And then we'll finish up today by uh, going on and looking at a few of the statements that Jesus made uh, in response to the religious leaders who attacked him over this miracle that he performed. But the first thing to notice, well, let, let me just give a, a little bit of a, of a background um, here. Uh, sometime later, we don't know Exactly when, but uh, it was after Jesus had been in Galilee. Now he is back in Jerusalem, and he was at one of the Jewish festivals. Now uh, John tells us uh, about the the Passover. Two, f- for sure, perhaps three Passovers that Jesus attended. John tells us about Jesus attending the feast of dedication, but he doesn't tell us exactly which feast uh, this one was. So people have speculated, some have thought, well, it was probably the Passover, but whatever the case, it was um, a festival in Jerusalem. And then John tells us that there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool. Which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, the the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means now. Whenever you see Beth or Bet, it's that is house. So there's there's a lot of you know Bethsaida. There's a lot of different Beths. Bethlehem. Um, we we find a lot of uh, places in scripture that are called the house of something. So Bethlehem is the house of bread. Um, Beth, uh, Bethesda is the house of mercy. And so this place was referred to as the house of mercy. And there were these... Um, these porticos or the, these colonnades, and there were these pools that were connected, and multitudes of infirmed people gathered at these pools because there was a myth that an angel at one time had stirred up the water. Now, we're reading from the NIV, the NIV doesn't include that verse if you have a New King James Version or King James Version you probably noticed there was a verse missing. And that's the verse that tells us about uh, the angel ostensibly coming and stirring the water so that uh, whenever the water was stirred, the first person that got into the pool was healed. Now, the reason that the newer translations don't include that verse is because it's not in what they consider to be the best manuscripts. And so it's kind of one of those scholarly debates whether it should be there or not. Um, But, but I think uh, what I do think about the, um, the older translations is that it does help give some context and it does help explain a little bit better uh, just exactly what is going on here. So this, this is the case. And in this place, there is a great number of disabled people. Um, today, if you go to Israel and you're invited to come to Israel with us, I have to always give a plug whenever we come to, but I was just in this place two weeks ago and today it's, it's known, um, well, the, the pools are there, they've been excavated. And so you can stand up above and you can look down and you can see, um, you can still see some of the pillars and some of the, uh, what would have been the, the porticos. And, um, but there's a church, uh, I think a, a 12th century church that was built there. And that church is known as St. Anne's. And if any of you uh, follow me on Instagram, you might have seen us in a church singing together. And that was where we were doing that, in St. Anne's. But in the days of Jesus, now it's it's very tranquil now, it's kind of like a garden, it's a really, it's a a wonderful place to stop on the tour, Um, not only because of the history, but also it's just a a beautiful place to be. But at the time of Jesus, it was aesthetically, I'm sure it was beautiful, but there were all of these um, infirmed people, because they were hoping to be put into the water, believing that somehow, uh, if they could get in, uh, that that, that an angel, this is a superstition, that an angel had stirred it up and that they were going to be healed. And so, there was a man there, but uh, notice the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed is who were there. And what I want us to see here is This is just a little snapshot of the misery that sin has brought into the world. You know, we live with all kinds of troublesome things. What we sometimes forget is this is not what God intended. And these things, every malady, disaster, every harmful or hateful thing, what we forget is that these things have their origin in sin. These things are part of our experience because of sin. When we hear of wars, famines, diseases, natural disasters, violence, murder, oppression, exploitation, when, when we hear of these things, we should remember how horrible sin actually is and how deeply we should disdain and avoid it. We, we just get so used to this being what life is, we sometimes fail to make the connection. We forget that these things are uh, a result of sin. These things did not exist originally. This is not what God intended when he created the world. This came as a result of the revolt against God. Now, all infirmity, all physical infirmity, has an indirect relationship to sin. So, the fact that our bodies decay goes back to sin. Remember, the Lord had said to Adam about the tree in the midst of the garden, the fruit on the tree, um, not to eat that, for in the day that you eat of it, you will die. And, of course, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They did what he told them not to do. And it says that when they ate of the fruit, they, they died that day, but they didn't drop dead. But the death process began in them. The, the decaying process began in them and they would eventually die. And so from that, all malady, physical malady has come. So um, there is an indirect relationship to sin, but in some cases, the illness is a direct result of sin, and that is the case with this person. This is this is really uh, this story is very interesting because there's no other incident in Scripture dealing with Jesus, where he both has tremendous mercy and compassion on this person and heals him, but then also warns him about ongoing sin and implies that the reason he was in the condition he was in in the first place was because of sin. Now, in the Jewish mind, that was, uh, they automatically connected any, any problem that you might have was related to sin. And they made a, 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 direct connection. So later on in John's gospel, we'll get to the story of a man who was born blind and the disciples himself asked Jesus the question, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. So this, so this was the mentality. This was the thinking. Jesus didn't, think that because he said about that man he said neither his blindness is not due to that so Jesus didn't believe that uh, every malady every infirmity every sickness was directly related to sin but in the case of this man it was so interesting point here now as we read on we find out that this man, um, he had been an invalid for 38 years. So he had been in this condition for 38 years. I was thinking, so if, if this was due to his own sin that he ended up in this condition, and he had been in this condition for 38 years, now he was probably in his 50s at this time. 38 years, this man lived with a sin-induced self-inflicted illness. But look at what Jesus did. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole is another way it could be translated. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one, literally, I have no man to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up pick up your mat and walk at once the man was cured he picked up his mat and he walked and then we read that the day on which this took place was a sabbath and so the jewish leader said to the man who had been healed it is the sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat How'd you like to have a pastor like that? (laughs) But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? I mean, can you believe this? It's like, forget the miracle. (laughs) Forget the guy's walking. We just want to know who told you to do this because you're breaking the law. You're not to pick up that mat. You're not to carry that mat. That's a violation of the Sabbath. But let's think about for a moment the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. So this man, you know, he was obviously neglected, forgotten, and overlooked in this multitude of sick people. I mean, he says it. He can't get anyone to help him get into the water. How many people were there? There could have been hundreds of people there. We don't know. But there might have been 50 or 72 or who who knows. But this guy was just another face in the crowd. And nobody... Seem to see him, but he was seen by Jesus. He was seen by Jesus, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have been neglected, forgotten, or perhaps overlooked, but know this, Jesus sees. Jesus sees. We we find this many times in the scriptures. The, The children of Israel, remember, they went into Egypt and they became slaves in Egypt. And they were there for hundreds of years and they were being oppressed. And God had given promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they had gone to Egypt because Joseph was the second in power. But now all of that is so far in the past and nobody even remembers a guy named Joseph. All they know is these Israelites are here and there are slaves. And as far as the Israelites were concerned, that was just what it was. But the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. God sees. The Lord said to Hezekiah, the king, when he had received word that he was going to die, And he turned his face to the wall and he wept. And the Lord spoke to him through Isaiah and said, I have seen your tears. And the Lord would say to us as well, even though sometimes it doesn't seem that way, the Lord would say, I see your trouble, your anguish, your grief, your fear, your sickness. I see it. Jesus never sees one of his people in distress or affliction that he doesn't have compassion on and help for. And Psalm 46 reminds us, verse one, remember how it begins? It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. But let's be honest If that's true, how come it doesn't seem that way? Have you ever been in a place where you're in distress, you're in trouble, you're afflicted? And it doesn't seem like God is even aware of it because he doesn't appear to be doing anything about it. If It's kind of like um, I was just reading the other day the story of Gideon and the Midianites are overflowing the land and the Israelites are uh, having to hide and they're living in caves and the Midianites are coming and taking all of their grain and uh, they're oppressed. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says to Gideon, he says you you mighty man of God the Lord is with you and Gideon says if the Lord is with us why are we in this condition and we might be tempted to ask the same question maybe you're in a place and it doesn't seem like God is with you it doesn't seem like God is near it doesn't seem like he's even aware of what's happening because he Doesn't appear to be doing anything. Why? Well, let me suggest four possible reasons. One could be that sin is hindering God's work, that that is a possibility. And we have to consider that that could be a possibility. Many, many times I, I think the devil wants us to think that that's always the case, which, which it's not. I just received a message from a friend today who said he's struggling with not feeling like God is punishing him. He's he's struggling to not feel like that's happening. I I don't think that's what's happening. But in some cases, again, going back to this man where Jesus, as we go on in the story, after he heals him, um, the man had no idea who it was. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. That's verse 13. Then 14 later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you were well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So here we have a case where the problem was sin. The, the infirmity was due to sin and Jesus says that this could return if you continue in this. And there are times when it is actually sin in our lives that will be the thing that is keeping us back from that blessing that God wants to bring upon our lives. So we have to consider that. But then it's also possible that the reason we're not receiving help is because we're looking to the wrong source. Now this, this man, he says, I have no one or I have no man to put me in the pool. So not only was he battling with this infirmity, he also had the problem of there wasn't anybody to help him. So he was, he was looking for a person to help him. And you know that can also be the situation in our lives that keeps us back from the help of God because we're not seeking the help of God, we're seeking the help of people. And somehow we think that it, this person is going to help me or the resources of this person is going to help me or, or something like that. So that's a possibility Thirdly, we might be limiting how God might work. And again, here, this man had a a one dimensional view. I have to get into this pool. That's how I'm going to get healed. And apart from that, he couldn't imagine that there was any other way that he was going to be healed. And so we can fall into that trap. We can can fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's gonna be this way. But it might not be that way at all. And then the fourth thing is it could simply be a timing thing and that God has allowed something to go on in our lives for a period of time And through the thing that's happening, God's doing something in us that needs to be done that we might not be able to see that clearly. So these are some different possibilities for why it would appear at times that God isn't working. But here's what we need to know. He is working. He is working. Jesus saw this man. And not just when he showed up at the pool did he see the man, but God saw the man. God saw the man for the whole 38 years. But now this was the time. But here is an interesting question. Jesus asked him this question. Do you want to be made well? Now that seems like what we would call a no-brainer, right? Like, well, yes, of course. You think I like being in this condition? But believe it or not, not everyone does want to be well. Not everyone does want to be well. People will often complain about their state or condition, but when the remedy is offered, they reject it and make all kinds of excuses as to why they can't do that. This is true. Anybody who's worked with people, anybody who's spent any time counseling people, realizes that there are some people that as much as they complain about their miserable state, they're somehow content to stay in it because they don't want to do anything to change it. For some, maintaining victim status is preferred to taking on the responsibilities that come with wholeness. That, that's a truth. So do you want to be made well? Now again, this this story is, is very interesting because there's no this man exercises no faith. So many times, and as a matter of fact, most times when Jesus is working and, and he's healing somebody, there's, there's a component in the person where they're, they're believing in him, they're, they're trusting in him. This person doesn't even know who Jesus is. So it's, it's again, it's just an interesting thing that here's this man in this dilemma and Jesus just heals him. And I think we have a bit of a picture here of just how God sometimes he sovereignly does things that, well, that doesn't make that much sense. I mean, after all, like this guy doesn't even believe. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. When they ask him, why are you walking, carrying your mat? He says, the guy who healed me told me to. Who is that? I don't know. He doesn't even know. So kind of a unique thing in the gospels. Here's a man who just, he does nothing. Jesus heals him. Now, some say, and I don't know that I agree with this, Cheryl. (laughs) Cheryl and other Bible commentators (laughs) believe that this guy was just like a rat. He was not thankful. And the minute he got the opportunity, he ratted Jesus out. And... They, it was, he, he was the one who did it. Now, honey, you're not alone in that. Because I read a number of commentators who thought the same thing. And my professor, when we were in Israel, when we were in Jerusalem, he said the same thing too. Now, I don't totally agree with that because I, it, for me, it's just a little bit hard to see a guy who's, you know, been infirm 38 years, he's miraculously healed, and he's not thankful But I don't know, maybe, because, you know, it's interesting. Jesus finds him, and he says, stop sinning. So maybe he did. Maybe he just went on and said, all right, hey, I'm better now. I'll just go back to what I was doing. And And the wording here, the tenses are right. Stop sinning, as though he was still sinning. So they could be right. But it's just an interesting thing to, to look at the whole the whole picture of this person. But let's kind of move on from him and put these questions to ourselves. Do you want to be well? Maybe the Lord is speaking that. some today. Do you want to be delivered from your distress? Do you want to have peace and joy restored? Do you want to see God working in and through your life again? Now to this man, Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. That's what he needed to do. But to us, he might say something like, perhaps turn to me and sin no more. Again, maybe it it is some sin in our lives that's, that's preventing that ongoing work of the Spirit. But maybe it's not that. And maybe to us, the Lord would tell us to rest in Him and to wait patiently for Him. Has anyone ever been, <laughs> of course you have, Everyone, anyone ever have a trial? Anyone ever go through a difficulty? Anyone ever go through an extended time of perplexity and a time of, of, of difficulty, maybe uh, physical infirmity, something like that, that just, it just doesn't seem to go away? Those are hard, hard things to go through. And what do we do when we find ourselves in those kinds of places? And it's not sin related, it's just what it is. Well we have to learn to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I know in my life, this is when the Psalms has become my constant companion because the psalmist, whether it was David or others, they experience these kinds of seasons. But the Lord perhaps is saying, rest and wait patiently. But what we really need to know is that God does see even though sometimes it doesn't seem that way. Sometimes it seems like he's oblivious to what we're going through, but he's not. He might say, believe God and take steps of faith. Would you be made well? Would you be delivered? Would you be set free? Would you be filled with vision and joy and those things again, whatever the case might be. It might be, here's the way to it. Believe God and take that step of faith. We can, by a lack of faith, we can prevent ourselves from entering into all that God has for us. Here's what we need to know. It's what Jesus said in response to those who then uh, came against him. So the man went, verse 15, and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, and this is the thing I want us to see. My father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. God is at work even when you don't see it. Jesus said it. God's always at his work. He he hasn't stopped working. He hasn't stopped working in your life even though you can't see it. But see, by faith, you have to lay hold of it. Okay, God is at work. I don't understand what he's doing. That is really the difficulty. Sometimes we just don't understand it. I can't tell you how many times I have uttered this sentence to God. I don't get it. It's in the tens of thousands. I don't get it. Because it doesn't make sense to me. But by faith, I have to, you have to, we all have to. At certain points, we just have to fall back on this reality God is working, and Jesus is working too. That's what's happening, God is working. Jesus is working in the world today. He's working in the lives of people all around us. He's working in our lives. The mission began 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and is circling the globe still today. It really struck me when I was in Jerusalem how it, it it really hit me that this is where it began and this is where it will end. It started here, it will finish here. It started there with the Holy Spirit coming down upon those that were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And them being sent forth out into the world. And for 2,000 years, the gospel has been circling the globe. And it's all going to come back to where it started. Back to Jerusalem. But God is working today. And what Jesus did for this man made him whole. He is still doing for any and all who will believe in and follow him. See, this is the battle that we have. The battle of faith is, do we believe that God is working today? I mean, sometimes we look around us, and I think we're tempted to think that, God, God, where are you? God, why aren't you working? How come you're not doing anything to solve these problems or to you know, make things better in the lives of people we know and care about and love or in the community at large or the society in general or even more uh, personal, Lord, my own life. But it's by faith that we will succeed by believing what Jesus said, that God is working. God is still at work. He's working today. And he will do for anyone what he did for this man as we simply put our trust in him. Now, we have as we do weekly, we have this opportunity. The thing I love about what we're doing each Sunday with communion. I love the fact that it it just, to me, it's just a moment in time to, to reconnect with the Lord. The bread that reminds us of his body that was broken, the cup that speaks of his blood that was shed for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection, all those things, it's all encapsulated in this moment. And as we as, as we partake of this, it's just, it's a refreshing, it's a reminder. Lord, you're at work. What you did on the cross all those centuries ago, that, that, that thing you accomplished is still being accomplished in the world today. It's a time to recalibrate. And as we do that, I want us to also think about these other things that Jesus said. I'm just gonna touch on them really quickly. In the final portion where Jesus is responding to them, having said that my father is always at work and I am working too, it tells us that for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God, his own father, making himself equal with God. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was making himself equal with God. Why? Because he is equal with God. He's God the son. They got it. They understood it. Liberal theologians say, oh no, Jesus never, he never said he was God. Oh, we can't believe that. Jesus was just a man, just a good guy, like you know, like some people. Did Jesus never thought he was God? Well, his enemies sure thought that he was saying that. That is what he was saying. When he said my father, no Jew says my father. The Jews would say our father, collectively, but no Jew would say my father. Because that's indicating that you have the same nature as God. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. So think about that. Jesus is God. Verse 17. In verses 22, 28, and 29, we read that he is the judge of all. The father has has committed all judgment into the hands of the son. And then in verse 23, we are told that he is, is to be honored just as the Father is honored. Jesus is saying these things to his detractors that God has designated that he be honored just as the Father is honored. In verse 26, he has life in himself. Just as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. You, me, everything else, everyone else, we're all contingent beings. We're contingent on something else. We don't have life in ourselves. We don't decide when we come into the world we can't do anything about leaving it. That, that's, we don't have that. One day life will be taken from us and it's gone because it's, it's not ours. We don't possess it. Jesus possesses life in himself. That's why the Bible calls him the prince of life or the author of life or the source of life. So as we're partaking of the bread and the cup, let's be remembering who Jesus is. And let's put our problems over against who he is and say, okay, Lord, this is who you are. This is what my problem is. I trust you. The final thing is verses 24 and 25. And let me read it. Jesus says, verily or very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment but has crossed over from death to life. Wow. Whoever. hears my word and believes. Has passed. Crossed over from the realm of death. Into the realm of life. And will not come into judgment. There is no judgment. For those who have believed in Jesus. You passed from death into life. That life is yours now. And this bread and this cup, they just, they solidify that. They remind us of that. That we have life because he gave his life. And we can have healing and wholeness and all of those things as well. Because that's what he came to do. So Lord, we pray as we partake now of the bread and the cup, as we think about the things we've heard and your work among us and in us. And Lord, maybe even today, there are those who are paralyzed, those who are disabled, those who are infirmed, blind, whatever the case, thank you, Lord, that you are the healer, that by your stripes we are healed. And so touch today, we ask in your name.